The following message was given at Grace Community Church in Minden, Nevada. Hello, good morning. As you said, I am Merrill Andrew Hansen Esquire. Everyone calls me Andy. So if you call me Merrill, I'm going to assume you're opposing counsel or you're a salesperson, that's what I always say. So call me Andy and I'll know that you're friendly. Um, so yes, we've got slides and I have the new clicker, so we're going to put this thing to work. I want to tell you a little bit about myself and then we're going to talk about um, more about that. So um, I hit the button. He's got backup, that's what he said. Um, I'm uh, a husband and a father. I've got four boys and one girl and a baby that was due on Thursday that's not here yet that we're going to uh, find out whether it's a he or a she soon maybe. Not that soon, but yeah. So There we go. It's a little washed out, but that's all right. Um, and what I do is I do estate planning and trust administration. So that's why I'm here, because this is what I do every day. I help people plan for the end of their time here on earth. And, uh, and then if they didn't plan, we deal with what happens when they don't plan. Um, and I love that song that we just sang, because it's so true. On that day, we're not looking back. That's my personal opinion. I don't know if that's biblical or not, but we're, we tend to be looking forward right at Jesus. I'm pretty sure there's probably scripture somewhere in there that says everyone's going to be mesmerized in that moment, and we're not always thinking about what's going on behind us back on earth in that moment. So, um, so that's what I do. Um, I try to keep you out of the probate court. We have a, a wonderful court system here uh, in Douglas County, um, and, and they do a pretty good job, uh, but court usually means delays, um, it usually means um, money uh, and time spent on things that you don't want to spend time and money on, especially after you've lost a loved one. You want to be focusing on that, not on what's taking place legally. Um, so the probate court exists to handle a situation where no one has any plans in place and they lose capacity and they can't think for themselves anymore. We have something called guardianships for that. That could be because of an injury from a car accident, dementia, you know, all kinds of things you can think about for that purpose. And then, of course, also, uh, someone passes away, then the court system has their own rules as to what happens to all your things, your children, and all of that, if you didn't plan it for yourself. So you already have an estate plan. Congratulations. It's called the Nevada Revised Statutes, and it's all in there for you. I hope you like it. Um, if you don't, you might want to kind of privatize that situation to make it your own. Uh, and that's what we're going to talk about today. Um, also, at death, if you pass away with under $25,000, the probate court won't get involved. You're not a big enough deal. There's just paperwork you fill out. People go to banks, and they collect the funds for you. And so if you have a small estate, there is planning to be done there, but luckily it's not overwhelming, all right? California is much higher. We're not there right now, so we're not going to worry about that. And if you own any real estate, no matter what it's worth, um, they're going to the state's really interested in what people do with their property because they still consider it theirs, so they're going to get involved on that no matter what. But in a state plan, we write a clear written plan. It's just that boring. It's a little binder with black and white ink in it. Sometimes I get a picture of an heirloom, like a you know, mom's wedding ring, and I get to put a picture of that in there. Otherwise, it's all pretty much black and white, um, and that's my, that's my job. Put everything down and put it into a cool written binder. So that's the big picture, but what does it mean to be doing Christian estate planning. What does it mean for a Christian to do an estate plan? And I'm not going to say anything revolutionary here. It should all be stuff that you've heard of before. Um, but I am going to pull out some scriptures uh, that, you know, the Proverbs are full of wisdom. A good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children, but the sinner's wealth is laid up for the righteous. I'll let you talk to your pastor about what that exactly means and how that works in any given situation. Um, but I'm going to be pulling out scriptures for you. What I'm not going to tell you is where you need to leave your things when you die. That's between you and God. Um, that's not my job. Everyone's on their own path in this life, and the Lord is calling you to do certain things. Um, it's just my job to write that down for you. Okay? Um, but uh, when we talk about legacy, by the way, that word's thrown around a lot. It's kind of a blurry buzzword. But when we talk about legacy, I'm talking about what people are going to remember you for. 
the impact that you made in this world. That's your legacy, okay? So that's what we're talking about here. So a little roadmap about what we're going to talk about today. There's part one, part two, and part three. Just making sure I'm on the right slide here. Um, what does the Bible say about legacies and estate planning in general? What does the Bible say about the people that you pick to be in your estate plan, all right? That's executors, trustees, agents, and that sort of thing. We'll talk about who those people are, too. Um, and then what does the Bible say about your estate, which is the things that you own, the assets that you've uh, acquired during your lifetime, all right? So let's go with part one. What does the Bible say about legacies and estate planning, all right? Um, first of all, we're going to start with Jesus' teaching here. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy, but where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I don't know if that's an inferior version. I hope it's okay. <laughs> I think when I did this, originally it might have been NIV, but I've often been reading the ESV lately, so I don't know what that is. Um, I, I'm just, I'm all over the place right now. Uh, but I love the Bible, all right? What is Jesus telling us here about the stuff that's here on earth? Is he really concerned about the things that we own? There's more to it, right? He's concerned about hearts. What happened to Jesus' things? Anyone remember? They cast lots. And he had, I think maybe a nice garment but, uh, and some sandals, but there wasn't much there, was there, to worry about. Your last will and testament, then, is your last will, it's your chance to be a good steward of the things that the Lord has entrusted you and take care of that. And it's also your testament. No one says that anymore. And I love that it's called a last will and testament because that's your testimony. Even if you don't say, I love Jesus in your will, and you don't have to, uh, what you do in that moment is still a testament about what you stand for and what's important to you. So if, if everything you had, you left it to some organization that's inferior, that's going to reflect on your legacy, right? And if you left it all to the church, people at the church are going to go, wow, that person really loved the church, right? So there, there are things that can be done here as your, what I call your last act of stewardship, even though you're not even here when it takes place. You do it during your lifetime. Um, it's a great opportunity for you to do something. And not only that, but it's, I think of it as beginning with the end in mind. Not necessarily beginning, we were all babies a long time ago, except for some in the back. Um, but you're here, and you're in your lifetime, and you have to actually sort of wrestle with the fact that you're not going to be here forever in the place that you're in. What are you going to do about it? You're either going to be raptured in this, when the Lord comes to take us away, or you're going to pass away sooner than that, but at any event, you've got to do something about it. All right, so let's talk about what a good legacy is. These are just general ideas, all right? A strong local church. I think we could agree that that's a good legacy in this world, all right? Bequeathing a Christian worldview. By the way, it doesn't take any money to do some of this stuff. This is, this is serving your church. This is teaching your children these things. Helping orphans and widows. That's right out of Scripture. The gift of Christian education. That's sort of like bequeathing a Christian worldview. I could have consolidated those, couldn't I? Saving souls. Evangelizing. Being known for these things is, is huge. And then the, at the end, they're teaching others to do the same. That's a big deal. Because if, if you're just a one-off, that's great. You did well. But our whole church body could benefit when we equip and strengthen each other as well. All right? So my, old, my firm's motto used to be your life, your legacy. Now it's protect your dirt, which is a little whatever. <laughs> I don't love it either. But... Your life, your legacy, that's what it used to be. But for the Christian, it's really your life, God's legacy, right? Because for the Christian, your legacy should be God's legacy. And so whatever your legacy, legacy, legacy is, it's a reflection of what God is doing in your life and what, what is in scriptures and all these things. So like I said, I'm not going to surprise you with anything here today. I'm just going to be revealing things you should already know and connecting all the dots for you, all right? Charles Swindoll you might have heard of him. He says, legacy isn't about us. It's about God working through us for his glory, not ours. There we go. Let's go on to part two, all right? What does the Bible say about nominating executors, trustees, agents, guardians, attorneys, in fact? Let me just identify those words for you real quick. An executor executes the things that are in your will. That's all they do. A girl is an executrix. Isn't that cool? All right. 
Trustees, or trustee really, is a person who's in charge of a trust. They're basically the executor for a trust. They're executing the things that are written in a trust. We'll talk about the differences between wills and trusts later. An agent, I'm talking power of attorney or healthcare agent, someone who, uh, while you're still alive, has been given powers to make decisions for you. All right, so we're talking about agents here. Guardians, we're talking about guardians over children, perhaps, uh, but also here in Nevada, the word guardian is used for adults too. So if you get dementia or you get so injured that you can't take care of yourself anymore, your guardian is there to guard your life and basically act as a power of attorney, but a guardian is actually appointed by the court, all right? But you can nominate guardians as part of your estate plan. It's kind of a safety belt in case someone contests your estate plan. Um, so those are the roles. So, but they're kind of important, wouldn't you say? If you're going to put someone in charge of everything that God has entrusted you, it's kind of a big deal. You want to make sure you're picking the right person. And so sometimes people will hire you know, professionals to do this, but ideally, I'm hoping that you guys are doing the homegrown version. So that's me when I was skinny and young, and that's my now 10-year-old son, but he was much younger back then. So, um, so it really, and I already said it, it's about stewardship. When you think living trust and you hear that buzzword and you don't necessarily know what it means yet, you hear the word trust. So the person you're putting in charge has to be trustworthy. They don't have to know everything. They don't have to be the smartest person on the planet. They know how, if they know how to ask for help and do the right thing, you've found a good person. All right? They don't have to have a master's or a doctorate. In fact, most of the problems I run into in, in my situation as an attorney with estates being settled, or usually it's a trust, is they pick their smartest child who went to Harvard, who knows it all, and they're, they're not doing the right thing. But they think they are. But everyone around him is going, what are you doing, bro? I'm not going to read the whole parable of, a, of the master going on a journey, but uh, it, there's a lot of wisdom in that parable that Jesus taught. But uh, when, I, when I think about the master going on a journey, he's putting people in charge. And then he comes back and he essentially grades them on how they did. Right? And does anyone recall why Jesus... Gave that parable? What's the purpose? Why did he give that parable? Pastor? He's return right? He's going to return. And then we will be held accountable. It's very simple. An estate plan is one of the things that may, I'm not going to say it's on the list, but may be part of what you are going to be accountable for. There might be some of you out there who don't need an estate plan whatsoever. You give it away during your entire life, You've got nothing left to worry about. You're a single person. You don't even own a truck anymore, and you just wither away, and it's gone, and hallelujah, amen. Simple. I love it. For others of us, I've got five children, one on the way. I've got to think about them. It would be, I would be accountable probably one day if uh, I died and left my wife up the creek, you know, without a paddle with all those kids. So, but what have we been entrusted with is a big question, because a lot of people think about estate planning, and they're only thinking about the money. I've got this asset, I've got that asset, but there is so much more than that. There's things that you own, there's things you know, there's people you know, there's children you got to care for, there's family, there's friends, there's your time here on earth and what you're going to do with it. I actually have, uh, on my website, I have like a, a questionnaire thing that you can fill out. I didn't invent it. Um, uh, I borrowed it from another website uh, with permission. And, um, and it, it helps you. There's all these you know, personality questionnaires you can take. It's one of these. And what it basically does is it helps you identify your circles of influence. Have you guys heard that word before, circles of influence? And, it, and that really helps you as an estate planning person, especially as a Christian person who's trying to understand what their influence is in this world and what the Lord has entrusted them with and that they're supposed to be a steward over, what those things are. Because sometimes we get tunnel vision and we stop looking at everything that the Lord has entrusted us with. So um, you can look at that some other time. So who you pick matters. It can determine the success of your estate plan, success or failure, right? And the bottom line here is if you're going to pick a child or someone that you love, start training that person today. Don't surprise them. Make sure they know what's going on. 
in your life. Make sure they understand what's important to you. These people do the best job because they know you, they know your heart, which means they know the Lord's heart. It's all in parallel. All right? Let's go on to what the Bible says about your estate. We're going to be quick about this because I think you guys already know the answer. God is not interested in our money. He already owns everything that's on it. I don't know if it's in here, but my favorite one is he owns the cattle on a thousand hills. I love that one. It's good for this area too. God is interested in our hearts and our souls. That's what's most important. Our assets are a means to accomplish certain things, sure. But what you do with it is what matters, more important than anything. So it's up to you to respond to that calling. What is the Lord calling you to do? It should be in line with scriptures. If he's calling you to do something satanic, you should double-check that. That's not from the Lord, okay? But responding to Jesus' calling, the ideal scenario, like in my life, for example, is I should be taking care of my wife, raising my children to know scripture and to live a godly life and to be doing the right thing so that when I die, whatever wealth I may have amassed, I can pass it on to them so that they can continue to do the same. And ideally, I've put that all in writing. I already have, actually. It took me a while. We need to amend it. I know. She's like winking at me right now. Um, and amendments do happen. Uh, that's the ideal scenario, but sometimes that doesn't happen, and we run into challenges where you look at one of your children, and they're a little bit more wayward than the others, and you've got to say, well, do I want to leave it in equal shares? Should I? I could, but what if I give one to, uh, what, if I, what if one of my children is a complete unbeliever, and they're not spending money wisely, and they're, I think there's another parable here, and included, uh, oh, Can we say this in church? It was in scripture. Prostitutes and that sort of thing ended up sleeping next to the hogs, right? That's the prodigal son. What about even just a young Christian, someone who believed at childhood maybe, and they say they love Jesus, but everything in their life does not reflect that. They have not really grown. They're still living in the world. By the way, I don't have the answers to all these. I just get to ask the questions. All right? Dave Ramsey, anyone heard of him? Financial guru, he's on the radio, nationally syndicated. He says, money just magnifies the person you already are. That's probably true. It's not always true. That's not scripture. It's just a quote from a guy. But I think it's true. I've seen it. What does the Bible say about my estate? Let's remember the wisdom of Solomon. I don't have to tell you about this. You guys just finished a huge study, what, at the beginning of this year. And I've listened to some of it. Um, So... You know, it's the wisdom of Solomon we're talking about. I'm going to say it wrong. I'm going to try here. Kohelet. Ah, there I got it. All right. And the chevel. All right. You remember these words? He said he was going to say them a million times. I still have about 15 hours to go on that. Um, and I'm really enjoying it. It's really good. You guys are just so blessed to get such good teaching in this church. I, I love it. Amen. Right? Well, let's get some New Testament wisdom here. We already had this one. I read it earlier. I'm not going to read it again. Again, we're talking about our estate. We're not talking about things that can be stolen, that can rot, and that sort of thing. It's about being a good steward of what you've got. He doesn't care about your money. He cares about your heart. Summary? All right, this is my summary for Christian estate planning. Be a good steward of what the Lord has entrusted you. Pursuing the Great Commission, participating in the ministry of Jesus Christ. I think that's redundant as pursuing the Great Commission. And if he should not return before you pass away, then you must select someone or someones qualified to carry on in your absence. All right, so it's just that simple. Take everything you've learned in church and figure out what does it look like when you put it on paper after you're gone. That's what estate planning is. So how does this all work legally? This is what I do. All right, let's go back to the probate court with what's called the probate process. You go to court... They look to see if you have a will. If you do, they validate the will, which means there's certain things that have to be met. We'll do that in the next slide. They appoint the executor, which may not be the person that you appointed, but usually they try to do that if they can. If that person's filed for bankruptcy, if they're in prison, if they, I don't know, they're not good at money, they can be removed. You don't necessarily get what you want. Then they take an inventory of the entire estate, which is just your assets. They pay all the liabilities. They pay any estate taxes. By the way, there's no inheritance tax in Nevada. And in the federal level, it's currently over, what is it? It's like way over 15 million. All right, so it's over 20, actually. 
trying to keep up with the inflation numbers. Um, so you don't have to, most of us don't have to worry about paying taxes at death. It's just your usual income tax that you didn't pay for the year that you died. We've got to keep an eye on that. And then whatever's left gets distributed. And the image up there is hard to see, but you see all these assets going into a funnel, and it shows you some of it going to the court, some of it going to the executor, some of it paying taxes, and then there's just a little bit left for the beneficiaries. It's not always that way, all right? I'm just going to be honest. It, that's, that's meant to scare you. Don't be scared. If, you have a, if you've been paying your taxes, if, you know, it's, it's not that bad. So what is a will? A will is a public document. It's filed with the court when you're dead. You fill it out during your lifetime, and it's just a writing that says where you want your things to go and who you want to be in charge. It's just that simple. All right? You have the testator, that's you, who's writing your testimony, your testament, sometimes known as a settler, which is kind of fun. It has to be in writing, not on video. It could be on a napkin. It's not verbal. It has to be signed with your signature. It doesn't even have to be dated, but you should date it. And it has to be witnessed by two disinterested people. So not the people you're leaving it to, not your executor, your neighbors maybe. And then the estate is distributed as you request, but of course you do have to pay the administrator, that's the person who's actually carrying it out, the executor, administrator. Uh, and the lawyer for the estate, assuming there is one, and usually there is because the probate code is complicated and no one seems to be able to do it by themselves. I didn't write the probate code, but I do use it. Thank you. If you don't have a valid will, you're called dying intestate. Because remember, you're a testator, but if you don't have one, you don't have your testimony written down. So state law determines what happens. Some of it goes to your spouse. Some of it goes to the children, if you have children. Um, some of, and then the percentages that go to the uh, attorney and the executor, that applies whether you have a will or not. You're, just, you're in probate court, and this is what it looks like. So it's, uh, it's all percentages. I'd say on a million-dollar estate, which the way houses are going these days, you by the way, they don't count the debt. So if you have a $600,000 house and $599,000 of liabilities, they count it right off the top, which means the bank's not getting paid back, but the attorney is. Again, I didn't write the probate code, but, <laughs> but these things have to be taken care of. Otherwise, they'd just be in limbo forever. So if you've got children, this is what, if you don't have a will that says what you want, this is the table of consanguinity, uh, which basically means your blood and your relatives. And this says the order in which your things will go. And it is pretty natural, okay? It's not unnatural. If you have kids, a portion of it is going to your kids. And it always goes in equal shares and that sort of thing. If one of your children is dead, but they have children of theirs, they get to take their parent's share. So that's your grandchild. Gets your parent's share, divided up equally. So none of this is unnatural. Um, but there are curveballs that can come up that you might need to account for account for as a Christian who's doing estate planning. And the default may not be great. You might not want to pay those fees. So you can privatize it and avoid probate because whatever you don't own at your death in your own name does not have to be probated. This is where we're going to throw a curveball and come up with a new idea and different ways to have you die without things in your name. Because whatever's in your name is in your estate. All right? So, if it's owned by you, then it goes through probate. But if it's not, then we can skip probate and find other ways to do things. So, uh, real estate, you guys have probably heard of joint tenancy with a right of survivorship. If not, it's just because I do it every day. I think everyone's heard of it. But that means if one of the owners dies, it automatically goes to the other owner. That avoids probate. But it's kind of inflexible. So, if it's husband and wife with a right of survivorship, and you guys happen to take the same car to church and that's the day you get in an accident and you both die, now it's in probate. That didn't help. Or you go, yay, I got it. The other person died, now it's mine. I don't know if you're saying yay, that's kind of terrible, but um, I, we do a lot of dark humor here, I'm sorry. Um, but you don't get an estate plan if you own at that point, it's still in your name. Okay, so uh, there... It's a, it's a good safety for a minute to do that. If you're, getting, if you're buying a house and you go, how do you want to take title? You go, oh, we really need to get a trust, but we didn't get it yet. Yes, put in joint tenancy. That's a good idea. Then call me and we'll do something better. Bank accounts can transfer on death. A lot of savings accounts come with a beneficiary designation. 
But they never ask you that when you open the account. They always forget to do that, but you can ask them, can I put a beneficiary on this? That's good. That helps. Of course, same problem. If you and that beneficiary are in the same car accident, plane accident, or that person dies and you forget to update it, when you die, that asset is still stuck in probate. So it works in the limited situation, but that's okay. Uh, but that's like life insurance, annuities, 401ks, IRAs. And then the bottom line there, living trusts. Now this is the one that I like because I'm the estate planning attorney. It provides the most flexibility over the longest period of time, and you get your wishes known. When you put a beneficiary designation on an account, it's not really much of a testimony. You don't get to put all your thoughts and feelings in writing. It still works. But I like when you can do more than that. So let's talk about the living trust. One person, it doesn't have to be more, this is my simple definition. One person holds title to the property for the benefit of another person. That is the boiled down legal definition of a trust. Can you hold this for a second? He is now a trustee of that device. He's holding it for my benefit, I assume, and all our benefits. You guys are third party beneficiaries to this arrangement. You all have students standing to sue him, I know they think about it. Thank you. It's just that simple. And he gave it back. He did his job. <laughs> That's good. He's a good guy. Put him on the list. That is a trust. Now, we make it a lot more elaborate than that, but that is literally what it is, okay? It is just trusting someone else. When you first write up a trust, um, you are your own trustee and your, your own beneficiary, which is kind of like shaking hands with yourself. You're literally writing this document that says, I promise that I will hold all these assets for the benefit of myself and whoever I choose the beneficiaries to be one day. And I'm the current beneficiary right now. Um, but after you pass away, someone else steps up as trustee. Now you're starting to feel that trust tension, right? Um, there, there's uh, the words revocable. You'll hear a lot of words about living trust. Uh, but revocable means it can be changed. It can be completely revoked, erased, undo. There's also irrevocable, which cannot be changed. Um, we won't talk about that. that. That's usually a lot more complicated. Living, I guess it doesn't die when you die, so it lives on. It doesn't matter. It's a living trust, or don't use the word living trust. It's just a word some guy made up one day to help market these things. A living trust. There you go. It lives on. It was never alive to begin with, okay? Um, but you can't, just keep this in mind, you can't usually revoke or amend a trust when you're dead. I haven't seen it happen yet. Um, so uh, you've got to do it while you're still alive. And that's where it gets kind of troublesome because we don't always know what the future holds. And what oftentimes happens is the world changes while you have dementia and so you just don't have the capacity to make the change, even though maybe you know what's going on or not. Who knows? Um, and then literally you take title, Jane Smith as trustee of the Jane Smith Revocable Living Trust dated July 12, 2010. Of course, Jane Smith will be your name or you and your spouse's name. Um, and then the date is the date you sign it. Nothing special about that. But if you want to pick a fun day, you know, that would be neat, easy to remember. Um, and so anything you own is actually owned by that, not by you. It's starting to feel like stewardship again, isn't it? I love having a living trust because I look at it and I go, that's not my name. And my pride goes, <laughs> my name's kind of on it, but it doesn't feel like I own it. It feels like, yeah, I'm just taking care of God's assets for the benefit of my family and doing the right thing. Let's go on here. Okay. So at death, we kind of talked about this. Uh, successor trustee takes over. You get to pick who that person is. Usually it's your spouse if you have one. They're usually first. If not that, you've got children. Um, you can pick a trusted friend. You can hire a professional. They're called fiduciaries. They just get paid to do it. Um, and then that successor trustee follows the rules that we put down in writing for you. Whatever it says, they have to do. They manage the assets. Maybe it's sell the house, put everything in cash, pay all the debts, and divide it up. That's a pretty typical scenario. Um, again, most trusts are automatically irrevocable at death, meaning no one can change it after you pass away. So you don't have to worry about someone going, oh, let's do something different now. I don't like this, what's written here. Um, it happens, or a lot of people try to do that, and then, then you do end up in court, because someone says they're not following the rules. So hopefully you're picking someone who can just follow the rules and be trustworthy. Again, non-trust assets go through probate, except for those that are titled properly. So, your task, should you choose to do it, 
That summary on the left side is my summary of what a Christian estate planning is, which is following the Great Commission and using your assets and all that, and put it in writing. And be intentional about it. That is it. That's all. That's Christian estate planning. I wish there were more to it. But the reality is it's difficult sometimes to get started and you don't always want to think about it. But we're under an obligation because we've been entrusted with things and people and all of that. So you've got to use that as your motivation and remember that that's one of the things you've got to do here on earth before you're gone. There is a deadline. We just don't know when it is. That's it. We don't. So I was going to give you guys an opportunity to ask any questions, if you have questions. Um, I know there's been a lot going on in this church. Uh, We're close with the Weller family, and Amyanna watches our children, and it seems like every other week she's telling me that I can't come over because there's another memorial. Someone we love dearly has been promoted. Um... And so I can sense that there's probably a lot of intrigue on this subject and maybe even some pain and that sort of thing. And I just want you guys to know that my heart goes out to you. I made it my purpose to try to do this at different churches just so that people know that this needs to be done. And I've been having so many kids lately, I've been too busy to do it. So I'm sorry that I haven't been here maybe three, four years ago. It's been a number of years since I've even done one of these seminars. So if anyone has questions, uh, there's a microphone that's supposed to be passed around. And if there's no questions, I'm just going to take that as a compliment. Good morning. Does, the, does a trust created in California that's now transfers to Nevada? Good question. So uh, the Constitution of the United States on the federal level says whatever you do in one state has to be valid in another state. So yes, it does work. What's interesting, though, is that the laws that are interpreting that trust aren't always, uh, well, if, for example, you're administrating it from Nevada now, if there's something wrong with the trust being carried out and someone has to sue someone about what's going on, you're going to be in a, a Nevada court with a Nevada judge applying California law. Like I said, we have a great court system here. Douglas County is wonderful, and almost everyone, it seems like, in this county is licensed in both California and Nevada. We all pretty much know what California law means. Um, There's a few tiny distinctions between California law and Nevada law um, that would make a difference in anyone's estate plan, and they're so remote that basically you're good. You're good. Um, I'd have to read it to tell you for sure and tell you what you have and, you know, to be legally binding and follow all my ethics rules and that. Um, One of those distinctions, by the way, is that in California, you have to distribute all the money out of your trust within the full life of someone plus 21 years. That's the the final deadline, so you can hold on to that money for a long time, all right? So, yeah, name the youngest person you know and say, yeah, for their whole life plus 21 years. In Nevada, it's 365 years. (laughs) We haven't even been a nation that long yet, but we're optimistic. (laughs) Any other questions? (laughs) One over here. By the way, how much time do we have just so I... 10-10? Is there a clock? It looked like you were looking at a clock. Okay. Oh, we got plenty of time. Okay. So my question is kind of twofold. Um, so first off, if someone would walk into your office um, and has a family situation, whatever they, that might be, would you look at their situation, their assets, whatever they own, and then um, either decide, okay, if you would write a will for yourself, that would be sufficient, or you should go f- for a living trust? would you truthfully guide him into the right direction or would you as a businessman decide, okay, let's do the trust because I make more money? I like and that. Then, That's good. Yeah. And, <laughs> no, I, uh, I am a Christian myself. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I made that clear. I usually start with that. <laughs> um, I don't attend this church as regularly. Last time I was here was for a wedding. Uh, but I love Jesus. <laughs> He died for my sins. Mm-hmm. I try not to commit them. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, no, I, I'm, 
I'm morally and ethically bound uh, to do the right thing. Um, so the thresholds are actually there. I can tell you that uh, there are some people who would prefer to have a will because they want the court involved. They go, we could do a trust. Mm -hmm. But I actually want the court involved because my family's got to be held accountable and mm -hmm. it's going to take longer, it's going to cost more money. Yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. That's fine. We can do that. So, and, um, and, and then the second part of the question would be if, if someone then gets steered towards a living trust, just ballpark number, how much is that to actually set something like this up? My law firm does flat fee estate planning. So if you're not in the like, close to 20 million range where we have to do some advanced tax mitigation planning, um, the, uh, I just updated it like a few months ago. I've got brochures printed in the, black, in the back, in black and white. Uh, I, I'm pretty sure it's $2,495 uh, for a, uh, a singles trust package. If you're married, we add $500 onto that because we have to do an extra will, an extra power of attorney, an extra healthcare care It's just a few more documents. Um, I actually love marriage. I don't want to charge married people more. It just takes more time. I support marriage. It's good. Um, <laughs> Uh, so that's the, that's the ballpark cost. You're, you're probably looking at about $3,000 if you're married, a little less if you're not. And we're um, probably middle of the road, maybe a little lower. Some people will charge more. Some people don't do, they won't advertise their pricing at all. They'll make you come in and sit with them for half an hour and then they'll tell you what they charge. Um, I just, I publish it. I want people to know. Yeah. But there are some things on outside that you just grab one. Hey, thank you for coming this morning. We really appreciate it. Uh, my question is, uh, once you establish a trust, I assume that you have to bring in all the titles and all that stuff gets... So let's say you go to sell a car or a piece of property. Is there like a maintenance charge that you have on that? No. Uh, so yes, you're correct. Writing the document is not the end. After that, we have to start changing titles. Uh, in my firm, we do the, the real estate because it's tricky and, and complicated. Uh, so we'll make sure that whatever properties you have, we have prepared the grant deeds that change it from whatever the ownership was before into what it's going to be from that point forward. Usually after that, the only thing you really need to do is take a trip excuse me, to the bank and say, hey, I've got a trust now, and they'll know what to do. We give you the forms, and they'll open either a trust savings account or something like that. Um, in, in my life, I've had the same banking account since I was 16. Everything's been auto-paying off of that for years. I didn't want to change anything. There's probably things I shouldn't be auto-paying off of that that I've lost track of. I probably should change it. <laughs> uh, but I just opened a trust savings account at the same bank I'm at. And if there's over the threshold here in Nevada is $25,000, if there's more than $25,000 in your name in a you know, private account that's just in your own name, or in this case, my wife's name, um, then uh, that could be subject to probate. So if it's going to be more than that for any reason, I will transfer the money and hold it into the trust account. And usually if you have a chunk of money like that sitting around and you're about to buy a car or something, you know, just leave it there until you're ready to move it over. Otherwise, it's probably invested or something like that. Um, one other thing I should just throw out there is the threshold between spouses is $100,000. So if it's in your own personal name and uh, you didn't put your wife's name on it for some reason, um, up to $100,000 your wife can claim without going to probate. But the number I want you to remember is 25000 because that's the one to remember. Uh, and you asked about cars and stuff. I usually, unless it's like a Lamborghini, um, don't even bother to title it in your trust. It's, it's a pain to go to the DMV. Um, the, uh, you can, you can title it in the name of your trust, and that's now the owner. Uh, but someone's going to have to go to the DMV no matter what to update title and that sort of thing. So uh, if it's under $75,000, you're the value of your vehicle. With some trucks these days, by the way, you're already over, okay? Um, if, if you're under $75,000, you can just leave it in your own name because it's easier to buy and sell with that sort of thing. And your, your executor of your will would actually then, if you had a trust, go and... Um, change title to sell it one day. In the back. Andy, what about um, businesses? So if you own a business and sit down with you to consult on establishing a trust, if there's changes to the entity structure or other things that have to be done with regard to that, do you do that? Do you have attorneys? Mm -hmm. And if it's out of state, 
not California or Nevada, if it was a business or even real estate, are you able to consult on that? So I'm licensed in California and Nevada, uh, but I'll say usually business law is pretty straightforward. So we can hire an attorney in another state if we need to to update something, but usually business works the same just about everywhere. And when it comes to owning the business, um, basically you just want your trust to own the business. That's it. And usually people have stock certificates sitting on their bookcase at home, and they never fill them out to begin with. So what I usually do as part of the estate plan is I tell them, you have this business, you're supposed to you know, actually cancel this certificate and issue yourself a new one, um, but I'll put it in writing, something that you'll sign that just says, I hereby designate that everything about this business, I want it actually owned by my trust. So whether you update your corporate books or not, um, at least there's evidence that says you intended to do it that way, and it'll be signed and notarized, and it's, it's basically a done deal at that point anyway. Um, but you should update your corporate record books at least every year. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. And then looking at your packages, you know, they, they mentioned transferring California or Nevada property into the trust. Again, if it's outside of those two states, what's your process? If it's outside of those states, we find someone who can do it in that state. Okay. Yeah. By the way, what is the cost of a uh, married couple's? Was I right? Is it twenty nine ninety five? Um, when you add the $500 Yes, five, for All married right, couples, an additional $500, so yes. Okay, there you go. I have to have the thing open in front of me. I, I, I'm an attorney. I'm not necessarily good at math. Okay. <laughs> He's making his way up. Hi, Andy. Hello. <laughs> um, as far as, like, things that continue after you die, like royalties and things like that that are paid out to somebody... Do, will that be included in a living trust, or is that like a separate thing that has to be dealt with? So it depends on why you're getting royalties. So if you're getting it and you, you get them because you wrote a book or something and you can collect them forever, uh, well, not forever, but you know, for a long time, then you would assign those royalties to your trust so that when they come in, they could be paying for your children's children's children, that sort of thing. But yes, you want everything you own except for a retirement uh, account basically, or any that tax deferred or you know special tax planning, uh, retirement planning account. Um, just about everything else you own, you would find some way to assign it to your trust. Whether we write something that says it's owned by my trust now, whether you actually go there and say, can I change the registry of this royalty so now it pays to this? Um, that's what would need to be done. Okay, thank you. And on the retirement thing, since he's got to walk up the aisle anyway. Um, Human beings live, work, and retire. Trusts do not, even though they're living trusts. Um, they, uh, so if you name a trust as a beneficiary of your IRA, for example, which is intended for your retirement, when you pass away and the trust gets that money, they have to pay all the tax on it right then, which could be like almost 40%, which is pretty steep. If you name human beings, they can inherit IRAs, and they can take it presently over a five-year period. So depending on the size of it, they can say, let's take this much this year, this much this year, spread it out, and then they pay at their own tax rate, whatever their income rate is. Um, So that's why we usually don't title uh, or or name trusts as beneficiaries on those accounts. You never change title into the trust on that account unless you have to. Uh, I have to. I've got little children. So my wife is named first. After that... It's the trust. We're just going to pay through the nose on that. If we, well, I don't, there's not that much money in my retirement account, but you know, we'll pay the higher tax rate on that. But at least that money will be available to the trustee to care for our children. Um, okay, next question. Okay, question for you about, um, you mentioned it's a good idea to start training your executor now on how to implement that. So if, for example, I was that person for my parents what should they start training me on now? I'll give me an idea what that might look like if we were going to train someone. I'm picturing discipleship, mentorship. That's what I'm talking about in that. Um, it's about knowing what's going on in their life, what their hearts are. I, I'm not being specific here on purpose. It's about sitting around the dinner table and talking about it and saying, hey, you told me once that you named me to be in charge of this, and we've never talked about it. And I don't want to have to have this conversation with you and make you feel uncomfortable, but I do want to have coffee with you or sit down and have a meal with you and talk about more of these things because I don't even know if you're going to be cremated or buried or what you want at your memorial. And there's a lot of decisions to be made there. Have you made those decisions? Are they written down somewhere? Or, you know, I don't want to be caught off guard. And I want to do right by you, mom or dad. 
That's awesome. Thank you. And yeah. I, 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 someone suggested once of having a discussion about things like how to turn on the computer, what's the password, where's the financial yes. access, things like that. Exactly. Okay. That could be a huge hurdle. Is not. I mean, in this digital age, you've got to get someone's thumbprint. Uh, I think I have my sister's permission to say this, but she was the trustee of a trust and couldn't get into the phone. And this person was already gone, family member. So she tried every finger. <laughs> and none of them worked. <laughs> you don't want to be in that situation. <laughs> Next question. <laughs> uh, my husband and I have a will that we wrote when I was pregnant with our youngest son. Um, but your slide said it needed to be filed with a court. And I wasn't aware of that. So how do we go about doing that? Not until you're dead. So then You the don't have person... to file anything with the court. Technically, okay. after someone dies, if they had a will, you're required to lodge it with the court. Um, but otherwise, you don't have to file anything with anyone anywhere. The only thing that would get filed somewhere is if you have real estate, we have to record that you know, transfer of ownership with the county. Otherwise, you don't have to file anything anywhere until possibly after someone has passed away. So as long as our executor knows where it is, mm -hmm. how to procure it has and everything. Has the safe code or can mm -hmm. find out where it is. Okay. Uh, one good trick for that, by the way, is you can, um, you, can, uh, you can get a safety deposit box, and the bank will actually let in a family member uh, to access a safety deposit box if they have proof that someone's dead, you need a note from a doctor or a death certificate or something, so that that person can get photocopies of any documents that are in a safety deposit box. And so they're not allowed to take anything out, but they are allowed to get that. And so then they go, oh, I am in charge. Or no, we need to call this guy. He needs to you know, take care of things. Um, I also have some good tricks about passwords and electronic things. I, um, I used to even show it on my slides. Uh, we use a password system that uses the same password plus something. I call it like the trunk and stem or you know, branch and leaf. Um, and so it seems like every week you have to update a password now, right? I need a symbol, I need two symbols, upper, lower, left, right. Um, and so we use the same pa core password for everything. And the only two people in the world that know that password are my wife and I. The rest of it is just like gibberish and I could put it right up there, AAA membership. Username, Merrill Hansen. Anyone could probably guess that anyway. Or Andy, he would have been wrong. You know? Uh, you know, password, and it just says like the usual that only we know, plus 0.8 star something. And I could share that with anyone and no one would really figure out what it is unless they knew what the usual was. And so we've left instructions that the person, and we update this, we both have it on Dropbox so we can, oh, I updated that password, I have to put it in Dropbox, and it immediately gets updated. Um, and so we can share that, and there's one spot where we've written down what that password is, and so our trustees, our executors, they have the instructions on how to get that. But if you trust that person anyway, you can just give them the password. It doesn't matter. I, don't, I trust the people I've designated, so. And there's lots of software out there that does it too. It's not so bad. Go ahead. If you have a trust in place and something gets left out of the trust that's under 25000 how can you get that when it's all said and done? So there's, there's a form. It, let's say it's a bank account, checking account with $24,999. It's, it's a death in benefit, it, right? a death benefit for yep. 600 bucks. So there's, there's basically an affidavit that gets filled out by the person who's allowed to claim it, which mm -hmm. is usually a nominated executor or something like that, but it could probably be any family member. Um, and then they say, this is the thing, this is what I'm claiming, I'm the person who has the highest right to claim it, and then they sign it in front of a so they, notary, is that so and they literally will write the check to that person. A and small then estate? Yes, small state affidavit. So even though the trust, so the trust was a, well, I, larger than 25000 But that's not in your estate. Okay, so then, so then that gets filed <laughs> under a small estate. Yep, and nothing has to get filed with the court. And I probably shouldn't say this, but this bank doesn't call that bank. So you could have twenty-four thousand dollars at this one, and 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 this one. They don't call each other and say, "Well, did they take it to you too?" This is a small town. It's a small town. <laughs> is the only way to designate who would be guardians of our children if anything happened to he and I would be to have a will or a trust? 
You can write it down right now. Okay. I, I was just going to ask a question. Uh, Are you my, allowed to? You're the guy who passes the mic. <laughs> you didn't raise your hand. <laughs> I have the power. Um, my, my youngest son is special needs. He just turned 18, and I'm his legal guardian. What should my estate plan take into account, or just in general when you're a guardian? Yes, special needs planning, and I do do that. There's not a lot of attorneys that do. Uh, my uncle Mike had special needs. He had Down syndrome and autism. Um, and my dad did it the wrong way, which means he did nothing. He tried to keep up with Uncle Mike everywhere he went. Um, and they, my grandmother did not leave Uncle Mike anything because she didn't want it to go to the state, because that's what happens. When you leave a chunk of money to someone with special needs who's receiving government benefits, then the state goes, great, that's going to help us pay for him or reimburse us for you know. Um, and so what you can do is you can get a special needs trust that supplements. So it doesn't pay for the person's core needs that the government's already paying for. It's just like, you want to go to Disneyland? The government doesn't pay for that. Here's a ticket to Disneyland. And it's the same idea. You've got a trustee who's following and managing and caring for that person. They just can't pay for the things that the government pays for. But everything else they can say, you know, you need a better shirt. We're going to get you better shirts. You can keep those other shirts, <laughs> but we're going to get you something better, or better bed, or better TV, a bigger TV, or whatever it is that they want. Um, watching TV is bad for you. Don't do that. Um, uh, but that's, that's what you'd be looking at, um, and, and I'm glad that you're the guardian. My father did not do that. Uh, I was not quite an attorney. I didn't know to tell him to do anything differently, and um, we discovered that there are systems in this world that suck in people like that, and... and and don't take care of them the way that they should be. Thank so, you. Yeah. So definitely get the power, whatever you can, to help these people the best you can. Because once they're 18, they're their own person. And you don't have a right anymore, unfortunately. Um, so if I understand correctly, I just want to make sure I know the difference between if you choose to do a will, which a lot of people do, and you write everything out and you have people sign it, or a living trust, the difference would be with a will, it's going to go through the whole court system, and then Correct. you have the court deciding and the potential of less money and things going to the people you want, versus a living Correct. trust would be, it costs, you a little, it costs you up front, but then it's going to go quicker, and it's going to go, there's going to be more money and assets going to people. Is that correct? Correct. And then also you, do, you would be able to take, meet with uh, like us, for example, and we could tell you our particular situation, and you would give us a, that by you said free estimate, but you already gave the price. So the free estimate is like. Well, I will tell you which package it is, and okay. not everything falls into a perfect category when you're right. like, well, I don't want to update my corporate records. Can you do it for me? I'd usually charge you know, an extra hour or something for that. But, okay. uh, but yeah, we do exactly a free quote. So if you think you can figure it out on your own, you're there, but you can also come in and I will talk with you about it mm -hmm. and also tell you a firm quote as to what it would be. But you're absolutely right in your analysis on the will versus the trust. The trust, you're basically privatizing that and saying, we don't want to go to court. We're going to do it ourselves without court intervention. Unless there's conflict, in which case this is America. Everyone can sue everybody talking about conflict in a trust how how safe is it against liability outside liability if somebody you know is looking to sue to to get your money how, how safe is a trust so trusts are not limited liability companies they're not corporations they don't protect the asset from your creditors a lot of people think that oh i can get this trust and then when i die it's all going to end up in this trust and i don't have to pay for anything um the law is that you have to pay your debtors when you die. You've got to pay off your debts. I mean. Mm. So, uh, yeah, it's, again, it's not a limited liability company or anything like that. It doesn't, it doesn't, I guess, protect anything more than if it were you holding the money yourself. For yourself. It's just like a, a regular person walking down the street. It's not, uh, there's no cap on it, so if everything's titled in your trust, basically it's your money. 
So if you had a, a, a bad car accident and you owe someone a lot of money, you'd have to use the trust money to pay for it if you had to. Uh, does that answer the question? Okay. Um, I have the mic. Um, if you have asset in another country, do you have to get a trust in that country, or can that be included in the trust that you do here? It's a big maybe. So from state to state is one thing. From nation to nation, every nation has their own sovereignty over the assets that are inside. And so it's, it just depends on what country and what their rules are. Some countries, uh, France, for example, they're like, yes, you can use your American trust, but you still have to, no matter what it says in there, leave half to your wife and a third to your children. Enjoy. <laughs> and you're like, oh, okay. <laughs> so it just depends. Of those assets, everything else you know, could be what you said, but if it's in France, you got to, oh, and there's also a percentage for your mistress in that country. It's complicated. <laughs> I've had a couple of those cases. I've got to be careful what I'm saying here. I'm <laughs> Hi, we're currently in uh, probate now in Pennsylvania, and um, we had some stocks left to us, and we have to split those stocks four ways. Um, but the problem that we have with uh, stock is you need a medallion stamp, and it is so difficult to get that. We had the stocks put in our name, uh, executor's name, and... Um, now that we need to split that, we need another medallion stamp. So we had the, the first one in Pennsylvania. So where in this county or somewhere can we obtain another medallion stamp? Usually every bank has someone who can do that. We and that's went a to, big asterisk there usually. <laughs> yeah, we went to probably five different local banks and including the credit union and they Nobody provides it any longer. They say oh. it's, what they say is that, well, it's really no longer necessary. So. Uh, until you run into an institution until, that says, exactly. yes, it is. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. the only place that we found we could obtain that was if we opened up something like at Edward Jones and we have to be in their program for at least six months. Wow. In order to obtain a medallion stamp. So I was just, my question is, is there any other avenue that we can take since a lot of the local banks and big name banks do not provide that any longer? If you want to take some time to save some time, mm -hmm. <laughs> you'd have to drive somewhere. Right, okay. Yeah, um, but I, I don't know. Okay. I don't know the answer to that. Okay. Uh, maybe in Sacramento, yeah. you know, or but, well, Tahoe. I don't know how many places you called, but yeah, it sounds like you're going to have to drive somewhere. Yeah. Um, sounds like I should get whatever this is. <laughs> Any volunteers? <laughs> the medallion signature is not going away. Banks love them. Yeah, especially when you're dealing with stock. So, um, real quick. We're, it looks like we're running over. We're okay. You give me a wink and a nod. One okay. minute. Um, you've been asked to be an Last executor. Question. And it, you've been asked for, to be an executor for a non-believer. You're one of five siblings, and you know from the owner of the, the estate that one of the siblings not, is not in the trust. And that hasn't been relayed to that other sibling. Is there a safeguard, or what do you foresee coming? I mean, that, that's kind of an... What do I foresee coming? <laughs> yeah. I don't have to say that. Um, and a person who's not in it is basically disinherited, right? Not forgotten or something like that? Or? Disinherited, yeah. Disinherited, like Been taken this out person gets nothing, but these people get all this, right? right. Okay, not just like, here's four. Oh, we forgot one. Um, asking for a friend. Asking for a friend, yeah. <laughs> I'm not actually supposed to give any advice on any specific things. We might accidentally waive the attorney-client privilege. Um, I don't have much to say. You probably shouldn't talk about it. And when you get there, you get there. Um, you can always contest, it just doesn't work. But, yeah, I mean, if it's in there and it says this person gets nothing, then reasons why people contest, they signed it because there was a gun pointed at their head. They signed it while they were completely unconscious. They signed it, you know, they had dementia. They'd been diagnosed seven years ago. You know, these are valid reasons for contesting. I don't like it is not a valid reason to contest. Um, when people do that, it's usually just so that they can maybe get a settlement for 
fine, we'll settle it for $10,000 so we don't have to pay all these litigation costs. That's usually the point of that. All right? Thank you, everyone. It's been a pleasure to be here. I do have some, I didn't bring any cards or anything. I was going to have a sign-up sheet if you want it, but I thought that's too much. But there are some brochures in the back, so you call me if you want to call me, okay? And I am having a baby this week, so <laughs> keep that in mind. Do you want this? Okay. Thank you. Well, thank you, Andy. That was, uh, that was outstanding, and I thought it was a very good um, addendum to Kohela. <laughs> All right. I mean, you got to think about it. You're going to die. We're all going to die. Got to be ready. And um, don't burden your loved ones by being unprepared. So let's pray together. Father, we thank you that you've given us this life to live to your glory and to enjoy it while we have it. But Lord, we know that one of these days we will breathe our last. And so we pray that we would be good stewards of the kind gifts that you've given to us in this life and that we would do good to those who follow us. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Thanks, Thank you. We hope that you were edified by this message. For additional sermons as well as information on giving to the ministry of Grace Community Church, please visit us online at gracenevada.com. That's gracenevada.com.